0: Well, good morning. If you're w- visiting here with us today for the first time, we welcome you. And if you're not visiting here for the first time, we still welcome all you as well. Um, it is good to be here today. It is good um, to, to um, find rest in Jesus Christ. And that is what we're doing. <clears throat> today, we will be in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles... And you want to go there, we'll be looking at verses 19 to 25. I do want to say this is the end of the Tree Spirituality series. This is sermon number 26. It was a whole lot. If you remembered, the overall topic we called Tree Spirituality is that we were talking about what the Scripture teaches about discipleship. And we basically said that we would be walk what we that we walk through and we would be walking through our identity in Christ, the servant 's heart that it produces, our calling in Christ, the fruit that that produces, and then we dive, dove deep into all the soil that best cultivated all of this in a culture of multiplication, and so we covered the massive range of topics from fasting and prayer and and uh Uh, working with people and community and telling the people the gospel and all of these other topics. Um, And so now we're ending it. And so I thought it fitting to end this series in the, I think, the heart of the Christian life, worship. And so this sermon today is going to be on worship. It's called Worship a Christ-Saturated Community. And so let me give an introduction, uh, a, a brief background of the book, and then we'll read it and then pray. So what happens when fire is deprived of oxygen? Or technically, if you really want to be a scientist-type scientist, uh, person, ox- an oxidizer. Because okay? it doesn't have to be oxygen, but an oxidizer. What happens if a fire is deprived of an oxidizer? Well, it burns out, doesn't it? It goes out. The same is true for Christians. We need one another to follow Jesus, and we need one another to be an oxidizer for each other so that we can shine brighter for Christ in a dark world. Because of Christ's high priestly work, which has given us bold and confident access to God, we should gather together as a community of believers, regularly committing our lives to the corporate worship and praise of God. And as we gather and worship, we provoke one another to love and good works, preparing ourselves for the day of Christ's return. Now, how do you summarize the whole book of Hebrews, because we haven't walked through it, up to chapter 10? It's really easy. Ready? Christ is better. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than Joshua. Christ is better than the angels. Christ is better than Aaron. Christ is better than the entire Levitical priesthood. Christ is better. Hold on to him and don't let go. That is what the entire book of Hebrews is about. And interestingly enough, there's an echo of the passage that we are talking about today that's found in in Hebrews chapter 4 I want to read this because it gets to the point in Hebrews chapter 4 it what we see is that since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the Son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may have mer- receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you listen to the passage today, you're going to see that it says basically the same thing. And so this is really the core and heart of the book of Hebrews, is this, that Christ has given us access to the Father. And so this is really the capstone of this whole book, the person and work of Christ. And so it has summed up all of the theological truths that are included in the whole book so far, Christ as the high priest. And so the whole book of Hebrews is actually an exposition of Jesus Christ. So let me go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll be reading this portion that goes from 19 to 25. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let me pray. Father, we come before you through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And these words will fall on deaf ears without your spirit opening up uh, the ears of our hearts, the eyes of our mind. And so we ask for your power to come and reveal to us the truth that is in here, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ and all he is, his person, his work, and all that means for us. And so I pray that your spirit would be upon me, that I would preach only your words and say only those things that would be pleasing to your sight and edifying to your people. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus and by his power. And I ask this so that you would receive glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So why do we meet to worship God weekly? Have you ever asked that yourself that question? Sometimes we can forget the very most basic of all things, and so we need a reminder. And so what I want us to do today is to look at this idea of why worship and what's the point and that. And so first, verses 19 to 21 shows us what Christ has done, the basis of our worship. So the first thing we're going to look at is the basis of our worship, what Christ has done. In verses 19 to 21, we are reminded that through the completed work of Jesus Christ, through his death, his resurrection, we can boldly and confidently enter the holy place, the most holy place, God's presence with a true heart. The idea here of confidence or boldness is, is a freedom to approach an authority. Do do any of you feel like you would be free if the president was outside to just walk up to him and start talking to him? You'd probably get tackled, wouldn't you, by his security guards. You don't have that freedom. And we understand this as people, is those at the highest and highest of authority, you do not and are not allowed to just go up and approach them in any way you want, just willy-nilly. You must approach them the way that they have decided, the way that they have determined. But what Hebrews tells us is that we have the freedom to approach the infinite, eternal, holy God with boldness. That, brothers and sisters, is mind-blowing because you can't even do that with your elected
1: officials. Jesus Christ paved the way so that we could pray
0: Jesus Christ paved the way so that we can pray with boldness and confidence. You see, just like the Old Testament high priest was able to enter the earthly holy place by the blood of animals, so Jesus, by His blood, has won us entry into the heavenly
1: holy place, the very presence of God. The presence of God. Christ has made,
0: it says, a new and living way. The word new carries with it the idea of freshness, a fresh way. It's, the, it's new because it no longer is seen through types and through shadows. The Old Testament people, you know, could not enter the presence of God. You know that, right? It was only the high priest he could, but the high priest could only do it once a year. At a particular time, in a particular way, with a whole lot of ceremony, washing and cleansing and sacrifices, and he had to go in. And then, if he messed up, he might not live as he went before the Ark of the Covenant, the very Holy of Holies. It was a terrifying day for Israel and a beautiful day all at the same time. And they hoped and they prayed that their high priest would not be struck down. And that that mediator, would go before the Presence and take their sins to God and have them forgiven by Him. But it says that Jesus opened a permanent path to that holy place for you and for me. It is living because Jesus has been slain as the perfect sacrifice, but He is also alive. He is in the, His new spiritual body. At the right hand of the Father, right now as we speak, He is the one who is dead but lives. And that God, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead by His power. So He is a living sacrifice that is dead but always alive. And though Christ's death happened only once, He is a living sacrifice in the present. He always lives to make intercession for us, is what the scripture tells us. Meaning that your sins, remember when we confess those today? Jesus Christ is continually giving you pardon through his death. He doesn't have to be re-sacrificed. But his perfect, consistent sacrifice, it's always there, speaking a good word against Satan and against the sins that you and I commit every day. Jesus' word of pardon and forgiveness is constant and permanent. Until that day when all that sin is washed away, when we see Jesus face to face. It's also living because Christ is the living God. He was resurrected to provide life to us. He is the Word of God. He is living and active and powerful. He has made us alive together with Christ. But Christ has opened a way through the curtain. If you remember that they had the tabernacle and there was a curtain that was separating very thick and it was separating between the holy place and the most holy place so they had to get all cleaned up on the outside then they went into the holy place where there was a table of showbread and other things like that and then in there they would do some more rites and some more things to get ready and then once a year they would then go through the curtain and it says that curtain is Jesus's flesh
1: Jesus's flesh the curtain or the veil that was torn for us. Do you remember when
0: Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished? Do you remember what happened at that moment?
1: The veil that was in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom, which was a terrifying
0: thing because no one was allowed to enter into the most holy place. And Jesus' flesh when He died ripped his flesh ripped and when his flesh ripped and was done and he expired that atonement for our sins the evil the darkness that's in all of us all of that was put upon him and he was torn so that now we had direct access into the Father direct access no more curtain hiding the presence of God the presence of God is available to you and to me in this moment Jesus is the only way into the presence of God, which is why we
1: read John chapter 14. What did he say there? I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is the
0: way, the entry into the Father. And do you remember Him? when we read that, when it was talking about Thomas, and Thomas is like, show us the Father, and Jesus is like, I'm right here, Thomas. Because the Father dwelt in Christ. And Tommy, he says, you've seen the Father because you've seen Me, the only One who reveals the Father. Jesus gives us direct access to the Father through His flesh. Our confidence is because the curtain was torn. The curtain of Christ's body was torn. And that gives us direct presence to God. And so guess what we can do? We can walk confidently into God's presence through Christ. Before, you know, there was only surrogate access to God. Meaning that somebody else had to do it for you. But now there is direct access to God through and in Christ. It is not temporary access, it is permanent access. Christ's sacrificial death allows us to enter Boldly into God's presence. And through Jesus, you and I can go right into the most holy place of, of all before our Father, through Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we get to talk to him in his immediate presence
1: when we pray. Do you understand this? You get to talk to the Father in His immediate presence whenever. You pray. Sit on that for a moment. Jesus did this for you. Direct access to God. You have been given like the most amazing, wonderful, otherworldly thing That when you
0: pray, you are in the presence of the living God, the Father. In the presence of Jesus Christ, all done by the Holy Spirit who makes that happen. And why, brothers and sisters, do we not pray more? Have you asked yourself that question? If prayer is the immediate presence of God, given and given to you by the fact that Jesus Christ died and his flesh was ripped for you so that you could directly be with
1: God. Why will we pray barely and not put so much effort into it?
0: Because if you knew that God was standing out here, I hope, right, Jesus was standing out right there, I hope you would just walk away from this sermon right now and go talk to him. Do you get my point? If Jesus was standing over there, you would say, Pastor James, you have nothing to say to me because the only thing you're saying to me is talking about Jesus, and He's right there. And so you would walk over to Him. This is my point. That's what you have in prayer. The presence of God right there. And you may not feel it. You may not, like, oh, you, know, you, may, you don't see Him. He's a spirit. Jesus obviously has a body, but he's in heaven. So you don't see him, you don't feel him, but that doesn't mean it's not there. The
1: problem is our sight is fleshly. It is not spiritual. It's not spiritual. And we can't see
0: by faith the reality. When you pray, if you have your faith goggles on, you will see that you are in the immediate presence of God. But you have to have your faith, God. So Christ presides over the house of God. He alone can usher his people into God's presence. He's the new and better Moses who led us out of slavery and into God's presence. He's the new and better Aaron who gives us entrance into God's presence. He is the new and better Joshua who leads us into the promised land. As Aaron bore the names of the tribes upon his clothing, so Christ bears our name on His body with His scars. Christ bears your name on His flesh. And He makes constant intercession for you and for me. Jesus has brought us as His people into existence and He's given us intimate relationship with God jesus is both our access the curtain and he's our advocate the priest his torn flesh gives you access gives me access and his priestly advocacy continually gives us access and this is the confidence that you have to come before god so what we have seen is provision in christ and now we look to the results of this provision and this is faith hope and love now um one of my seminary professors, by the name of Ligon Duncan, he did it. He, he led a worship class uh, that I took with him, and he said there are three heads of lettuce here. Let us, let us, let us. So we're going to look at the three heads of lettuce: faith, hope, and love. You probably won't remember anything else, but you might remember that. That's why I told you that. It's kind of corny, but it's okay. So first, let us let us enter or draw near. Access into God's presence with intimacy in prayer and worship with a true heart in full assurance. What good is something if you don't use it? What good is a bike that you go out this afternoon or tomorrow and buy this amazing bike and you put it in your garage and you're like, that's a great bike. But you actually never get on it and ride it. Does it do any you any good? We have been given the greatest gift of all, the ability to enter into the presence of God with unfettered access as a child. One of the biggest tragedies of the Christian life is when God's kids don't talk to Him.
1: That is one of the biggest tragedies of the Christian life. You are God's kid. Talk to Him. Jesus did it so you could. So... Christ is better than all that has come
0: before. He's our axis. He's our advocate. He's the way to God. And because of this, we can draw near to God in truth or sincerity. And a true, sincere heart is one that involves our thoughts, our wills, our emotions, our character. We draw near to God sincerely. And what this means is we draw near to God without religious pretense. We don't do a bunch of forms and stuff that that's what allows us to have access to God. We don't have all that pretense. We have relationship. We just go into the presence of God directly without pretense. Remember what, remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? He says, there's a coming of time when you won't worship on that mountain or that mountain, but those who worship will worship in spirit and truth sincerely out of the heart and so because God sees our hearts we must come with a true genuine or a loyal heart we must be committed to him we must love him and serve him with all our whole heart and our soul but you know what we don't feel that way do we when's the last time you felt like you worshipped God with all of your heart mind soul and strength it might have been a long time ago or it might be yesterday I don't know could have been this morning but you have to look to Christ. You have to see His beauty and wonder. You must come to God, drawing near to Him every single day in faith and repentance. We must challenge ourselves by asking this question, what am I living for today? What am I seeking? And when we fail, it says that we can have our consciences cleansed by the blood
1: of Jesus.
0: So here's the point. You try to worship God, and you don't do it right. I don't do it right. It's all, we're all corrupted and mixed in our motives. But we have our consciences cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus and what he did, our worship is cleaned up. And God sees us through Christ and loves us in Christ. And so we can simply repent and turn to Christ, pursuing God in worship, and we get that access. And so we can pray for mercy and help in time of need, especially if persecution and difficulties. All those in Christ have direct access to God. If you have a million dollars and you don't use it, what good is it? Nothing. Nothing at all. So if you have access to God, but you don't use it, what's the point? And so we also come with full assurance of faith. Now, our heart should be, we talk about full, as one commentator said, glutted with faith. Filled until it can hold no more. Have you ever been in a place where you ate and it was so good, maybe a Thanksgiving meal, and every dish was so good that you ate and you ate and you had some more and you had to eat more because it was so good and you ate more and more until you were so full that you were like, oh my goodness, you had glutted yourself on food. We are to be glutted with faith, filled with full confidence glutted with the idea that it's only through the faith in Jesus Christ, it's only in his trusting in him that that it is. And so you should feel that fullness on a day-to-day basis because you have confidence in Christ and in his person and in his work. You can have conviction and certainty, clear-headed confidence and stability in Christ's work on our behalf. And faith is not a blind leap. We have confidence in a real person who lived and who died and rose from the dead. We have a firm and unwavering confidence in God's faithfulness because we are rooted and grounded in Christ. And that is because your hearts, my hearts, have been washed clean from an evil conscience. Our inner person is purified by Jesus Christ. Under the old covenant, the people were sprinkled with blood on the Day of Atonement. But in the new covenant, our hearts are inwardly sprinkled with blood. Our inner person has been purified by Christ Jesus. Our bodies have been washed pure with water, probably referring to baptism is what this refers to. But more than likely, it represents how we are purified by Christ as priests were washed in their ritual to prepare to meet God. So remember, the priests would be washed before they could meet God. And this passage is telling you that you have been cleaned and washed with water. Which means that you are in a st- the same position, except better. Because you always get access, not just on a day of atonement. And you can walk in and walk before God with an absolute clean conscience. And have you, have you ever been in those situations where you've been sinning and you haven't been able to stop, when you know there's something wrong that you're doing and you don't want to pray because you feel dirty? Guess what? You know what this passage is telling you? Go before God in repentance, in faith, and have your consciences that are guilty cleaned and washed so that you can directly enter his presence and don't have to feel that way. You can feel clean. Repentance and faith. So we have to be careful, though, not to think that this only happens in a church building, only happens once a week, because God lives in you, if you have the Holy Spirit. Our entire lives should be worship, and we can do this by practicing the presence of God here, but at home through prayer, reading his word, meditation, singing, fellowship. And that can happen in your car, in your home, or anywhere you go. The second head of lettuce is hope. Hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering, holding on to the anchor of our soul. What is our faith or belief if we don't continue in it? you ever thought about that? You have. If you say you have faith, but if you don't continue in it, what is it? It's not faith. It's not trust. How would it go for us if we were walking on a tightrope and we got halfway across the tightrope and we said, oh my goodness, I'm over the Grand Canyon and I don't think this rope is going to hold me. What would happen? You, you'd, you'd start to... Get wavery, wouldn't you? You'd start to waver because you would be. I've got to make sure. I've got to feel the tightrope under my feet. I've got to. I've got to sense and know for sure that it's not going to fall over. So then your body would start moving and your mind would play tricks on you, and then you would be plunging headlong into the cabin, the cabin, the the valley. Right. So the thing is, is, is that you can't lose your confidence in
1: the rope. Jesus is your rope. You can't lose confidence in Him. You have to have hope. And we have to be
0: faithful and unwavering, understand that Christ will support us. So basically, keep a tight grip on Christ by faith. Hold on to him. Or better, you know, and so we have to hold fast to Christ. Has anybody of you ever read the Iliad and the Odyssey? You probably, if you haven't, you've probably heard. I don't recommend it. I'm not recommending it. Okay? It's, it's, it's Greek pagan mythology. But it's got some really good stories. And there, as Odysseus is going across the sea, there's sirens that sing songs. Now, what they do is the sirens sing so beautifully and so wonderfully that they lure sailors out of the boats to their death, and then they're killed. Okay? Odysseus wants to hear the music. So he tells his sailors to tie him to the mast as tight as they possibly can and let him. Stay there, and no matter what he says, do not let him go. But he—you know—he did with his sailors. He put wax in their ears, and they sat with the wax in their ears, and they rowed, and they rowed, and they rowed. And Odysseus almost went insane by the beauty of the siren song. But guess what the sailors were doing? Rowing, rowing, rowing. And Odysseus was able to experience that beauty of that siren song while the sailors were safe. You, this is where that analogy over. You are and need to function as if you have wax in your ears to the siren song of the world. The world is singing a song to lure you away from God. And you have to row in faith Confidence and hope in Jesus and keep on rowing with that wax in your ear and keep on going safe and secure in Jesus Christ. The world is going to try to get you in and and get into you and it eeks its way into you, little painful moment after another, but you must hope, you must depend on a living God who has substantiated hope The world ekes its way through with unsubstantiated hope and the world hopes against hope. And they think that we have a faith that is based on a wish and an imagination and a hope. But we have a hope. We have faith. Now faith, in Hebrews 11, now faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Absolute certainty. That's what you have. You have that. You have that confidence because of Jesus Christ. God promised that Christ's work is and will be effectual for you, and so you can have a confident spirit because you have a constant, competent, and effective advocate. Okay, the last head of lettuce. Stir up one another to persevere in love and good works. Faith, the first head of lettuce. Hope, the second head of lettuce. And then, lo- and then love, the third head of lettuce. What good is an army if you come to a skirmish and everybody runs away? What's going to happen to the people in the army? They're probably, first off, they probably won't be able to escape, so they'll probably all be dead. But nothing's going to happen that's good if an army runs away. If the army does not fight together, do you understand that? If the army does not fight together, they will not win. You all are Christ's army. You must fight together. You must stir one another up in love and good works. We must actively be engaged in working together to do what Jesus commanded us and what he saved us to do, which is love and good works. Remember John 13? The world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what does Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 say? After it says that faith is a gift of God, not of works, that no one may boast, and everybody forgets the second part, for you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we are to think about one another, is what this text says. The idea is actually to observe well or understand one another in a reciprocal relationship. We are to get to know one another in the intimacy of the community of faith. We are to stimulate one another both spiritually and morally. We are to consider or focus our attention on constantly encouraging those that are in the Christian community. Why? Because persecution, trouble, temptation to wander away are there. The world is singing its siren song, and you need me, I need you, to keep resting. Keep looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we, and, and, and listen, Paul, it, what, what, or the author here of Hebrews says, many ex- he, he, he basically says that many people have had excuses for not coming to worship. You know what it says? It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another in good looks, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some. Listen, if you guys think that in today's modern world is the only time that people didn't come to worship, it's been happening since the first century. People have been making
1: excuses not to worship with their brothers and sisters for 2,000 years. Why? Well, because it's ultimately persecution,
0: ostracism, and apostasy. If you come here and people know you come to worship and are part of a Christian community, in today's society, especially in New
1: England, people think you're you're silly and you are backwards. So it's really easy to say, well, I won't go. But what the
0: author of Hebrews says is, you need to go because you need to stir one another up to love and good works. So do you know that the reason you come to worship weekly is not just for you to get a spiritual tank that you know you get little we go to the gas tank we swept our credit card you know pull out a thing we put the it in the gas tank we press it until it's full that's not the point you don't come here to just get filled up you come here to worship jesus christ and actually to stir one another up to, for love and good works that's what the author is hebrew saying and why does he say that he says that because you have to encourage one another Right? You don't abandon the gathering. You encourage one another so that you will do it all the more as the day is drawing nearing. The day, the word the day, it means the day of judgment. It means when Christ returns. What he's saying is, we don't know when Jesus is returning. So you all need to stir one another up to love and good works. You all need to make sure that that little wax in your ear is not starting to seep out. And you will know when your brothers and sisters has that wax in their ear and starts to seep out as they start to look a little bit more like the world, as they start to lean in a little bit more to that, right? And that's what has to happen. You have to stir one another up for that love and good works. So why should we not dismiss attending the weekly gathering of God's people first? Because the being or person of Christ is with us as we gather. We are met by Christ in a special way. One commenter said this, It is true that a person does not have to go to church to be a Christian. He does not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if he does not, he will have a very poor relationship. Can I read that quote again? It is true that a person does not have to go to church to be a Christian. He does not have to go home to be married either.
1: But in both cases, if he does not, he will have a very poor relationship. I I couldn't have said any better myself. So second, corporate worship gives you a place
0: to intensify your passion and joy as God's word ministers to you in a powerful way. And third, you gain stronger theology and doctrinal understanding,
1: which then leads to doxology or praise. And fourth, you will grow in love. There is one commentator who said this, and I don't usually like to do a lot of quotes, but I found so many good
0: things, I had to say a few things. Listen to this. Worship is the event in which we become radioactive for God. When we are not in the collective worship with God's people, we have missed an exposure to God, and having missed it, we lose our radiance. And I would say it this way. You know what? You and I have a very short half-life. If you miss out on the gathering with God's people, you will fizzle out. You must be with God's people to get re-energized. And so you need to be exposed to to the presence of God, to the radiative presence of God, through you all, all of us being together, When we do that more and more, the energy that we have, that we experience together, will then be pushed out in our lives to a watching world. That is why we must provoke each other. And that word provoke essentially means sudden and violent emotion or convulsion. We are told to provoke each other to love and good deeds, and voicing exhortations that strengthen each other's faith. And it's not a judgmental thing. It is finding weak brothers and sisters and encouraging them in their journey to to Christ. It is lifting them up when they fall and calling them to follow you, to to follow you as you follow Jesus, building them up in Christ. So,
1: worship, coming to worship, is not about you. It's not about getting you filled up. It's about glorifying God,
0: finding the fullness of Christ, living in that, and provoking one another to love and good works. Do not allow the modern American self,
1: self-centered individualization of everything allow you to think that this morning is about you. Because it's not. It's about Jesus and about all of the people
0: that died or all of the people that he died for. Father, would you open our minds and our hearts to the beauty and wonder of Jesus Christ? Would you allow us to provoke one another to love and good works and not neglect the gathering together of your people? That we would see and know all that you are and that we would just worship you in spirit and truth. Help us, Lord, to have our ears stopped up from the world that sings its siren song to call us away from you. Help us to stir one another
1: up, Lord, so that you would be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.